0: Okay, Bokitov, good morning. We uh, dedicate our learning, as we've been doing recently, to uh, Rafu Hashleimah, to the soldiers who've been injured in Israel, and uh, in honor of the protection and well being of our brothers and sisters. Please, God, a, a peaceful conclusion to the uh, events there, a lasting and real peaceful conclusion. Parsha's Ekev, the privilege of uh, reading Parsha's Ekev, the Shabbos. So we will, as we customarily do, give a uh, overview of the Parsha quickly. And then come back and delve into our delve into the pesukim that we're going to look at more uh, more involved. So the Pasha begins with the notion of the reward, ekev tishmuun, that uh, in exchange, uncle says ekev vhi chalaf. Chalaf is like chalipen, which means an exchange. Khalipin is a barter. So you can barter with God. It's an exchange for God. Ekev tishmuun is the If we observe, if we uh, keep, safeguard. There's a reciprocal relationship. If we show loyalty to HaKadosh Baruch, to God, He shows it to us. The parasha begins reminding us that our relationship with the Almighty is similar to all of our relationships in life, and that's reciprocal. A person who is dismissive of the other party's interests and needs um, is not going to receive a lot of love back. And a person who is attentive and affectionate to the other person's needs is going to receive that same kind of attention back for the most part. Relationships require reciprocity. So Ekev Tishmun, that's how Unklish translates. Rashi translates differently. In my mitzvahs, Kalos, The small mitzvot that we step on, that we, that, we tend to, that we tend to walk all over. Right? Ekev. Ekev is like our cave, is like our heel. The small things that we step on. And it means to suggest that for many... Uh, Inaccurately, they create a hierarchy in their mind, assigning different values to different mitzvahs. Oh, Shabbos, that's important. Kashos, that's important. But this, that's not so important. That's small. And we tend to uh, negate, we, can tend to, we tend to dismiss. And that's what the uh, Torah is beginning is, by telling us the small things that we tend to dismiss, that's what we have to be very careful of. The Kliakar, this is, not what we're, this is part of our overview, we're not going in depth here. But the Kliakar, and Ekev says differently, he says, what are these small things that we tend to dismiss? The Chukim. Things that we don't understand. If it makes sense to me, Shabbos is wonderful quality time with my family. I disconnect and disengage from the world of technology. That makes sense. That's what I do. But eh? it doesn't even make sense. This doesn't make sense. Kolisha, people, eh, it doesn't make sense today. So the, the chukim, the things that we tend to think that don't make sense, that's what people dismiss. But the answer says the kluyakar is that's the most important where, area that we can express our love. I officiated uh, a wedding on Sunday in New York, and the chuppah. That's what I said. Ultimately, the beginning of this parsha is the prescription for all relationships, a relationship with Hashem, and relationships in life. The ek of tishmuun. Marriage is not made up of successful marriage. Are not made up of the large romantic great moments it's made up of the small things you know, do you, do you put the cap back on the toothpaste and leave the toilet seat up? And do you or take the garbage out when you're asked to take the garbage out? And are you attentive to the small things? Because, you know, you can give the most glorious uh, flowers and birthday cards and balloons one day a year on your anniversary or your birthday, but if all throughout the year you neglect the small things, that's what adds up to a broken relationship. And it's the chukim. In a relationship, where is the l- greatest commitment expressed? When you least understand why the other person is asking you to do what you're doing. When they say, can you take the garbage out? You understand the garbage needs to be taken out. So you're not excited that you're the one doing it, but you understand it. So you do it. But when the other party asks you to do something that makes no sense, you say, but I don't understand. Why do... That doesn't make sense. Say, just do it for me. Just do it for me. It doesn't have to make sense to you. I'm asking you, just do it for me. That's the true test of a relationship. That's the moment the relationship either thrives or dies. So similarly, according to the that's what the Torah is telling us with Hashem. Chukim. It's, okay, you, you understand what God's asked you to do? Big deal for you to do it. You're doing it for you. So when you don't understand it and you do it anyway, like in every other relationship, that's what the relationship is made of. So Ekev Tishmoun is a reminder, of Moshe Rabbeinu, in this magnificent soliloquy, this monologue, he gives the Jewish people before their entrance to Israel, he reminds them that you're in a relationship with Hashem we'll see, it, that's really the theme of the parsha. Abbas Hashem, Yiras Hashem to love God, to be in awe of God and, and really the theme of so much of Moshe's speech in Sefer Tzvarim is this is a relationship, we forget that we think that there's, and, and there are many metaphors to the relationship. The master and slave, the parent and child. But ultimately, it's, it's a relationship of two people in love. It's the Shir shirim and rabbi Kiva. Kodesh HaKadoshim, the holiest metaphor, is the relationship of, of a man and a woman who are romantically and uh, incredibly in love. And relationships are made of being attentive to the small things being responsive even when you don't understand. It's about expressing love in action. It's about having a sense of awe and reverence in the relationship, never becoming too casual or too comfortable. That's what relationships are, are made of. The, uh, I heard someone quote the Rambam. I never saw it inside. Apparently the Rambam in Moronavuchus points out that what's the Hebrew term for a wife? Isha. Isha. <laughs> what's the Hebrew term for a woman? Isha. Isha. So it's, really, it's not really wife, it's just a woman. And apparently the Rambam says, again, I didn't see it inside, I heard it quoted, but apparently the Rambam says that it's incumbent on a husband to remember she's never your wife. You haven't acquired her. You don't own her. It's never. You don't have to ever stop treating her as a woman. Whatever attitude you brought into the courtship when you first won her over, that's what needs to continue, that level of commitment and that level of responsiveness. She should remain an Isha, the woman you're courting, and never transform into the Isha, your wife, who you think, she's my wife, what do I have to, you know... I can, now be, I can now afford to neglect her. I can now afford to not care. Now I don't have to, you know, be chivalrous and be uh, romantic. Never show, so Isha, is the same word to remind a man that he's never done. So the same is true with our relationship with Kodesh Baruch Hu. And that's what Moshe is reminding the people. In the end of the day, it's a relationship. Do not neglect the relationship. And, and the same bread and butter of human relationships is the bread and butter of our relationship with Hashem. It requires communication. It requires responsiveness. It requires flexibility. And so on. And, so forth so the Torah begins the parasha begins Ekev with the reward if we bring that mentality of a relationship if we loyally serve Hashem then he reciprocates with this reward and the Torah delineates the reward we've studied it in the past you could listen online in previous years that Hashem loves us and Hashem provides and nourishes us provides physical sustenance provides fertility provides protection from other nations uh, provides protection from illness and so on and so forth the Torah delineates essentially every bracha we could ever want if you want to see a great encapsulation of all the hopes and dreams, it's the beginning of Parshas Ekev. This is what we dream and hope for. To have financial sustenance and stability, to be protected from harm, to be protected from illness, to have children, nachas from our children. These are the dreams, the beginning of Parshas Ekev. And Hashem says, if you want it, Ekev Tishmuun. I need to feel you're listening and care about me, and then I'll listen and care about you. It's a reciprocal relationship, right? We have it all the time. I say it with my kids all the time. I ask them to do something and they ignore me. And after a few times I say, good, next time you ask me to drive you to the mall, I'm going to say no. Because if that's the relationship that you're ignoring what I asked you to do, so I'll, I don't have to be responsive when you ask me to do. If you want me to jump when you need something, then I'm asking you to jump when I need something. So Ekev, that's the Ekev. Ekev, Chalaf, Chalipin. Uh, there's a recipro- reciprocity that is the cornerstone of... Relationships. The uh, parsha then goes on and talks about the fear that we'll have. Again, remember, Moshe is trying to motivate the people as they're about to go into Israel. And he's trying to motivate them to not be fearful. How are we going to acquire? Don't worry. He can do anything. He's all-powerful. He can create miracles. He can create miracles. It will not be a problem. Torah then goes on. Akev continues with the, um, the uh, reminder of the man, the role of the man, the role of the miracles that were in the Midbar were a test. They were a test for the Jewish people. We discussed this in the past as well. The Mefarshim will describe what was the test. Maybe the test was a test of Amuna. How are you going to see Hashem if you feel, what do you need Hashem for? I go to Publix and stocked the, the, the shelves are stocked with food. So, what do I need Hashem for? I have food easily. I don't know, the rain, no rain in America. What's the difference? There's always the food, the bread's always on the shelves in Publix and Winn Dixie. What do I need Hashem for? So, maybe that was the test. The mud fell, it looked like it fell consistently and indiscriminately. it always was there. So, what do I need Hashem for? So, it was a challenge of Amuna. Or the opposite. The man was, you had unbelievable Amuna because you understood that your entire sustenance came from Hashem. But will that continue that level of amunah when you go back? And not only the man falling, and not only the endless uh, uh, access to water through the shana 40 years you have children, they're growing. Every two minutes, you're buying them new shoes. You're buying them new clothes. You say, I just bought new clothes. I just bought new shoes. It's an expensive proposition, children. Ooh. So, there was a miracle. Forty years in the Midbar, that the clothing never got torn, never got worn out. Rosh says, Miraculously, it grew with them. It was a miracle. Everything about the lifestyle in the Midbar was miraculous. Everything was miraculous. So, this was all a test. And the Torah explains, the Mepharshim, Explain or expand what exactly was the test. How was it a test? How does one pass? How would one fail? The parasha then continues by saying, but this is dangerous. Pentochal uvatim tovim Affluence. The challenge of affluence. We think that affluence is a great bracha and in so many ways it is. Having affluence is a tremendous bracha but having affluence also comes with a tremendous set of challenges. Tremendous set of challenges. There was an article yesterday on on foxbusiness.com, about uh, incredible philanthropists, the world's wealthiest men, from uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and others, who are leaving a tiny fraction of their estate to their children. The article was about the mega-wealthy who are trying to figure out what's the right amount of money to leave their children so they'll never need, but not to leave too much that they'll never, so they'll never want, but not to leave too much that they'll never have uh, aspirations or ambition. So, uh, you know, it described, I think it was Warren Buffett, who's leaving each of his children $10 million, which for us would be winning the lottery. <laughs> but if you understand that $10 million is less than the interest his estate earns a day. $10 million is less than the interest his wealth earns in one day. And think about $10 million. $10 million, you know, produces uh, ten million dollars produces $500,000 a year income. So... Now, again, for us, that'd be winning the lottery. $500,000 a year income, that's unbelievable. But if you grew up the child of Warren Buffett, multi-billion gazillionaire, that's, uh, that's nothing. How You can fly in a private jet and own many houses and everything. So it's fascinating. So the, the parsha tells us this is a challenge that, you know, it's, it's one that we would welcome. We, we're confident we can uh, uh, overcome. But it, it has a whole set of challenges. And the Torah delineates those challenges. When one is affluent, it's hard to be humble. When one's affluent, it's hard to be in awe. When one's affluent, it's hard to have relationships. When, one's, when one is affluent, it's hard to have faith. It's hard to have amuna. It's hard to recognize that it's all borrowed but never owned. It's all fleeting. It could all disappear. The Torah warns, Varam Your heart is going to, you're going to have hubris. And what happens when you have wealth? When you're poor, when you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you daven and daven and daven and daven. And then when you know where you're... Uh, then you, you hit the lottery, at the jackpot, and you have money, and you forget. You say, it's all me. Kochi va'otsim yadi. As our parsha tells us, it's my effort. It's my success. It's my hard work. It's my toiling. That's what yielded all these results. Yes, God had to allow it to happen. But it's me. I worked hard. So, So, that koach that you used, yes, you had intelligence, and you had hard work, and you had perseverance, and you had to overcome obstacles. But who gave you Anosein Lecha Who gave you that kochi va'otsum yadi? That koach, those qualities, that strength, that endurance, was given to you by Hashem. So never forget it. Remember remember and the purpose of your success is to advance your mission on earth which is to serve Hashem which is to repair the world and the inverse Torah tells us if in fact you become so arrogant and you forget affluent that you forget ooh, then just like Hashem is willing to get rid of the other negative influences that stand before you when you're trying to do good, God will get rid of you when you become a negative influence on others. When you are a source of negativity because you don't understand. The uh, parsha continues with the obligation to remember the experience of leaving, of leaving Mitzrayim, of not forgetting, remember where you came from. Moshe now, which is a consistent theme in Dvarim, recounts many of the episodes that occurred in the in the midbar, whether it's. Uh, um, having provoked Hashem, whether it's Kabbalah Satorah, whether it's the stiff necked nature of the people. right? That's uh, Pasuk uh, Yid Gimel in Perak Tess. Right? Hashem says, I want to destroy them because they are am kishay oref. Uh, oref is a the neck, they're stiff necked people. They're stubborn. They're unbelievably stubborn. And what is Moshe's response? Moshe uses the exact argument that God said to him to don't destroy them because they're a stiff-necked people. So we've discussed this in the past, the Piazetzna Rebbe, Rev Kalanimous Kalman Shapira, of Piazetzna Hashem Yikam Damo, was uh, in his introduction to Chavez HaTalmidim, explains, well, what does it mean? Moshe advances as a defense, the very, the very quality that Hashem advanced as a um, prosecuting quality? What's going on? So he explains, yeah, qualities, character traits, are, are, can be used, they're neutral. They can use a the positive, they can be used for negative. So yes, they're stubborn. What Moshe was saying is, yes, they're stubborn. But if we can channel that stubbornness and that obstinance into serving you, they will stubbornly be your people and that stubbornness is what carried us through the millennia, through the generations would we be here if we were not stubborn with all those who sought to annihilate and exterminate us with all the reasons to walk away and to abandon Torah had we not been a stubborn stiff necked people could we have survived so this amk Oref is on the one hand a uh, negative quality but on the other hand can be channeled into a into a positive one um, Moshe then goes on and he talks about uh, about Aaron, what happened with Aaron God got angry at Aaron and wanted to destroy him and so on and so forth then the then he tells him at that time you should create new tablets right after after the Chet Egel and the destruction of the first set of tablets and uh, here the Mepharshim point out that these second tablets didn't have, Rashi says they didn't have the same uh, where is this Rashi? They didn't have the same quality the second luchos as the first. The first one were Ma'isa Hashem, Maselokim. First were fashioned by God. The second were Psal Moshe does. That was the result of their indiscretion of the Chet HaEgel. Then we have Aaron's death when Aaron passes away. The Levim, the role of the Levim. the Yisrael, Me'imach. This is perhaps one of the most difficult psukim in the entire Torah. Pasek Yud and Perk Yud. And now, what does God want from Kimlias Hashem Kecha? What does God want? He doesn't want that much. He doesn't have so many requests and needs. All he wants is so that you should Fear so him, have all of him. walk in his ways, love him, La serve him, and the money. The points out that David Amelach created the parallel to this Pasuk. Moshe says, What does Hashem want from you? as if he's going to suggest one thing, and then he lists a whole litany of things. What does he want? What's the big deal? All he wants is this, and this, and this, and this, and each one of them is the incredible, incredible request. What does David HaMalch say? David HaMalch goes on, he gives a whole list. That's the... Uh, David's response to, through Moshe, Hashem's, what, what, I just want one thing, and then he lists many? David says, I just want one thing, and then he wants many, says the Medrash. How could Moshe say, Yir has HaShem, Yir has Shemayim, is something small? Yir Shemayim, I think, is maybe the challenge of our generation, particularly young people. Maybe we go through the motions on the outside, but what's missing, what's missing from animating the Jewish observant lifestyle is a sense of Yir Shemayim, a sense of awe, a sense of... of of a, of a humility, a sense of um, the yoke, literally the yoke of heaven being upon us. And Moshe suggests it as if it's something so so negligible. So our rabbis, the Gemara says, yeah, for Moshe it's small. For Moshe it was small because it came so so naturally to him. It was something that was so insignificant to him. But that's what Moshe tells us is the essence of life. Yir'a HaShem, Know that there's a God, know that there's a Creator Know that we defer to Him, we submit to Him Know that His will supersedes ours A little Yir'a Shamayim in life And how do you express the Yir'a Shamayim? The next possible Lishmar's is Mitzvah HaShem If you care about what He says, then we'll know you're in awe of Him If you dismiss what He says, you can't claim to be in awe of Hashem Awe of the Creator, Omnipotent, Infinite, All-Knowing, all controlling Being And then not care what He has to say <laughs> and that not observe what He asks you to do. It's just, it's not consistent. If you really care, then you would jump to do. If you're not doing, then it must be because you don't really understand, you don't really have that, that sense of awe. The uh, parsha continues. This is the part we're going to study today, if we ever get to it. V'yassah Hashem Lokecha, Allah And to, uh, because you have first-hand knowledge of the miracles, you, your parents, your generation, experienced Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim and everything with it, you have an obligation you have an obligation to pass that forward. To testify, you have an obligation to create the. You are the evidence of uh, Hashem's not only existence but continued relationship with the Jewish people. And then it continues with the um, special relationship with the land of Israel, the singularity of the of the land of Israel, the uniqueness of the land of Israel. And the parsha concludes with the second paragraph of Shema. If you listen to the mit to the mitzvot again, it's about reward and punishment. It's about uh, reward and punishment. Okay, so let's go back. We're going to study Perek Aleph today. Chapter 11, beginning with Pasuk Aleph. Page 992, yes, thank you. 992, Perek Yid Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Hashem kol hayamim. says the Torah, love Hashem, one of the main themes, right? We've talked about love and awe. I keep translating Yira as awe. Because I think fear is a mistranslation. And I think fear is a translation that ends up having negative connotations and negative consequences. Hashem doesn't want us to fear Him. Of course we should understand consequences. But He doesn't want a relationship that's predicated on fear. He wants a relationship that's predicated on awe. What's the difference between awe and fear? Fear is that I don't necessarily have to respect you. If my father were a drunk, alcoholic, angry, rageful person with a belt, I would fear him. Would I have awe of him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. On the other hand, if my father were accomplished and bright and were, was, were modest and, and carried himself with such dignity and honor, would I have awe of him? So much so that I would tremble at the, at the at the thought of disappointing him? So awe and fear, in both they regulate my behavior. In both my behavior is a result of the emotion I feel, but in one out of fear it's negative. I don't want to get smacked around. I don't want to get hit. I don't really love the person I have fear of. I don't really respect necessarily the person I have fear of. I just have fear of them. In awe, it also regulates my behavior. I don't want to disappoint them. I want to act in the proper way, but it's because I feel a sense of awe. It's because I feel a sense of awe. So it's very important, at least to me. I think that... People who were raised with the sentiment that you should have fear of Hashem say, I don't want a part of that religion. I don't want a part of that God. A God that I have to fear, lightning is going to strike. Lightning is going to strike. I know a Balashchuva, I know a woman who, uh, someone was Makarifer. And Makarifer basically under the impression that if you do the right things in life, God's going to love you, great things are going to happen. You do the wrong thing, lightning is going to strike. And she is in, in a um, religious crisis because she's done a lot of the right things and has had challenges and when she slipped and done the wrong things, lightning didn't strike her down. So she says, uh, this whole thing is a joke. Everything I was taught, it's not true. I said, no, it is true. You were, the person who taught you was malpractice. They, They taught you incorrectly. That's not what our relationship is based on. You know how many children, it doesn't speak, children in 2014, young people in 2014 are not inspired towards a religion which tells them you have to have fear. Right, because they're living in a world that tells them you have nothing to be afraid of, right. at all. You should be happy and pursue your own happiness and play. You have nothing to be afraid of. So when you say, "Yeah," but come to our world, where we're going to tell you fear, lightning's going to strike. Don't do the wrong thing. It's going to you're going to burn in the gates of. That, that's not very attractive. That's not very inspiring. So I think that not only is it inaccurate, it's turned so many people off. Instead, if you talk about awe, talk about having awe we've hopefully had experiences in life seeing the Grand Canyon, seeing uh, an individual a super genius, seeing what, things that you can have awe of. Right? This generation, is the iPhone 6 coming out. You know, you know, whatever, whatever the source of their awe. People have awe. Awe is something you can be drawn to. And love is something that you're drawn to. By the way, in the conflict between love and awe, which one is greater? Meaning, which is the greater, which should we strive for more in the relationship with Hashem? We have to have both. When Moshe we just saw Moshe says what does Hashem want from you? All, so he wants you to have awe he wants you to know that you are not him he wants you to know that you're different he's the authority and you're not but which is which is the, the higher level? love or awe? Love. there's a great Ramban the Ramban says we have a halachic principle of asei doche los if I have a conflict between a positive commandment and a negative commandment so I'm supposed to wear tzitzis but my tzitzis have wool and linen mixed together which is shotness. so what do I do? Do I have the tittus made out of shotness? Does the positive commandment supersede the negative? Or does the negative win out? Does the negative supersede the positive? We have this in many places in Allah. So, what's the Allah principle? Asay docha los sase. Positive negates, the positive supersedes the negative. Right, Saramban, you know why? Because love supersedes awe. Positive commandments are love. You know, how you show you love Hashem. You say Shema You put on tefillin You light candles you, All the positive commandments Are expressions of loving Hashem It's buying him flowers It's buying him cards It's getting him gifts You know the, the negative commandments You know how you show You have awe of Hashem When he says Don't eat non-kosher You say oh, I'm, I'm not touching non-kosher He says Don't do Malachan Shabbos you say, ah, I'm not doing on Shabbos That's how you show You have all So says the Ramban Mitzvahs Hasei are Ava Mitzvahs Lohs Hasei are Yira Hasei Doche Lohs Hasei Ava Doche Yira Love transcends love, supersedes awe in the conflict between the two. So here the Postle begins, Love <coughs> Hashem. And every time we say that, we had it in last week's Parsha with the first paragraph of Shema. And then what does it go on? What's always right after the Torah tells us, Love in a relationship with Hashem is the same as love in relationships with people. Right? I told the story uh, last year of uh, that Rabbi Avi Weiss told about his father. And his father called him and needed him to pick him up from the airport. Abba, I love you, but I'm busy. I can't. I'm sorry. He said, please, Avi, I need you to pick me up. Abba, I love you. I love you more than any son's ever loved a father. I can't tell you how much I love you. I wish I could. I just can't. But I love you. His father said, Avi, Love me less than pick me up at the airport. <laughs> right? So what's what's that sentiment in all relationships is I don't want to hear with lip service, with your words you love, where's the proof of love? It's in the pudding, it's in the action. Love is action. Love is giving. Aha is from hav the Aramaic, which means giving. So whenever we see loving Hashem, it's closely followed by, are you performing? Are you acting? Are you behaving? You can't all day claim to love Hashem and, you, and you're and you going to shuckle and you're going to this and you're going to that. And the second you walk out the door of the shul or of your davening of your love Hashem, you know, you're so uh, spiritual and loving and loving and love Hashem. And then, but that which Hashem has asked of you, you totally neglect. So how do you, how do, you do that? The, the proof of the, of the loving is the Ramban is a different interpretation. Look at the Ramban. Says the Ramban, v'shamarta mishmato yira so she tishmor mechato l'fanav kiachas sheitzava bi'ave sheitzava biyira sheitzava bechukam mishbadu v'mitzvos. So the Ramban sees v'shamarta so mishmato as yira, v'yahavta Hashem love Him v'shamarta mishmato and have all of Him. So in the same pasuk, because you'll say why is ava not yira? So the Ramban's first interpretation is that the pasuk includes both. V'yavda shomak yacham means love. mishmato means yira. But look at the second interpretation of the Ramban. Fantastic. V'shamarta mishmarta, the double language. She Masha Hashem shomer. You now you show God you love Him. Oh, this is so geschmack. to shomer Shehu shomer v'chonein dolim avyonim v'usa mishpat ve v'almana. You now you show God you love Him love the things that he loves. Fall in love with the things that he loves. Do the things that he loves. You know, if your wife loves you and you love baseball, so she'll learn to love uh, sitting through a Yankee game. If your wife loves, uh, uh, whatever, opera, and you can't, you learn to love what she loves. If you love the person, you learn to love what she loves. Here, this is much more noble. The is much more noble. The Shamata Mishmarto. If you love God, then safeguard what He safeguards. What does He safeguard? Who does God care about? What does God love? What does God cherish? The Gerim, converts, the Dalim VeAvyonim, the indigent and the underprivileged, the Yasom the widow and the orphan. You claim to love God, then love those whom God loves. Take care of those whom God take care takes care of. Because if you claim to love God, but then you neglect what He takes care of, how could you really love God? How could you really love God? You know, it's like a man marries a woman and she has children from a previous marriage. You have to love those children if you love her. You cannot be cruel to the children but claim to love her. If she loves those children, how could you not love those children? So these are God's children. You're in love with God? Well, God says, but these are my children. This is who I look after. I've adopted the orphan and the widow and the underprivileged and the indigent and the convert. So don't neglect them If you're cruel to them Don't tell me you love me And you're cruel to my children That doesn't work That's impossible It's an amazing Ramban If you love God Then protect and guard Those whom God protects and guards Imitate God If you love God What is the greatest form of flattery? Imitation so if you love God, you want to flatter God, the greatest flatter, the greatest form of flattery is imitation. Pasuk base. Yadu And know today, says Moshe. Who is guy who is Moshe talking to? To whom is Moshe speaking? This is Bnei Israel who've left Mitzrayim, Now I know all those who sinned. Expired in the Midbar. Yesterday, two ba'av, One of the many reasons that the Mishnah lists for two Ba'av, Gemara lists for two ba'av is they would dig their grave every year and lie in their grave expecting they were going to die in the desert. And two ba'av was the date when they stopped dying. When Hashem had wiped out all those destined to die and all those who remained were going to enter the land. So, when we talk about Moshe addressing the people who had left Mitzrayim, first of all, there were innocent units, group segments of people There were the the children who were not yet at the age to be punished, who left Mitzrayim and still had memory of it. And there were the next generation, who we know that the second generation carry much of the experience of the first. So that's who Moshe is addressing, those who had lived this history. It wasn't ancient history. It wasn't history at all. This was part of their memory, not their history. It was part of their memory. So he tells them, V'edat know today... That it's not your children. Lo as benechem asher lo yadu vasher lo musar kechem. It's not your children who never saw God's hand, who never saw the revelation of the Almighty. Es gadlo his greatness, v'yesh yadua chazaka his strong hand, uzron etiyah his outstretched arm. It's not them. V'yesh ososaves maasav asher asar besoch mitzrayim and the wonders and the deeds he did in Egypt, the farom to paro and to the whole people. And that which he did to the, to the army of Mitzrayim To its horses To its chariots That the water closed in on them When they pursued you And God destroyed them What does it mean They never recovered all their men, the whole army was wiped out. We know this. We've seen this in our day. That there are nations who suffered such loss in a war, such setback, that they never recovered. They never gained. They were the Egyptian empire. They were the strongest empire in the world. And they were rendered utterly impotent. Their army was wiped out. And Ada Yom Moshe is saying, until 40 years later, until today, they've never recovered. They're not an empire. They're not feared. They're not Ada Yom Hazeh. And what you saw in the desert until you came to this place. And you saw what happened to You saw what happened when the ground opened its mouth and swallowed them up in their homes. And all that was theirs everywhere among the Jewish people. We're going to go back in a moment. I just want you to understand. We've got to get to the punchline. This is all setting it up. So you're not like your children. Your children, us. Who are the children? Us. right? Fast forward the tape. Who are the children? Us. We are the children. And we can claim, look, I I never saw Hashem's revealed miracles. God never spoke to us. I haven't seen revealed miracles. Again, if you've lived through the Six-Day War, if you've lived through Operation Protective Edge and some of the miracles we've seen, I don't know that you can even say that anymore. We've, we've almost seen a Kriyas yamsof. Rav Yaakov Emden writes in an introduction to a sitter. It's an unbelievable statement. Rav Yaakov Emden who lived uh, 300 years ago, 250 years ago, before the founding of the state and the miracles. Rav Yaakov Emden writes that the survival of the Jews, despite the numerous attempts to destroy us, is no less a miracle than Kriyas Yamsef. And in fact might be greater. Says Rav Yaakov Emden the survival of the Jew, the presence of the Jew after everything we've been through is no less miraculous than the ten plagues in Kriyas Yamsuf and in fact might be greater. We can't claim we haven't seen miracles. Our very existence, our being here. And that's before, as we said, 48 and 67 73 and so on and so forth. So we have. But in any case, Moshe is telling the people that in the future Jews will say, I haven't heard from Hashem. I haven't seen revealed miracles like the ten plagues. And like, Hashem didn't speak to us at Har Sinai. But you don't have that excuse, he's telling them. You don't have that excuse. Your eyes saw the wondrous deeds of the great God that he did. So, why am I telling you all this? Now that you saw, you have an obligation. And what's that obligation? To remember the mitzvah I'm giving you today. So that you'll be strong. And you'll come and you'll you'll conquer the land, you'll inherit the land, you'll have longevity in the land that God promises you, and then Moshe concludes, because, why do you need to be strong, why do you need to remember, why do you need to draw from the miraculous events you saw, because you're going to enter the land, I need you to be strong, and what's so special about this land the land that you're coming into to inherit it's not like Egypt you left there leave that behind we talked about it last week leave Egypt behind there's a prohibition to return to Egypt physically and mentally and spiritually leave Egypt behind leave it behind you we talked about this in the past how is Egypt fertilized how is Egypt nourished The Nile River. The Nile River, you use your foot and you you furrow a a little ditch and the water runs from the Nile and it irrigates whatever you want and you can grow vegetables wherever and whenever you want. And what happens when you have everything? How's your relationship with God when you have everything? (laughs) How's your faith? Barely existent. How's your religiosity, your spirituality? It's not there. It's when you lack. It's when you depend. The more you feel independent, there's an inverse relationship. The more independent you feel, the less dependent on Hashem, the less faith you have. The more dependent you feel... By the way, you could be a billionaire and feel dependent, and you can be a pauper and feel independent. They don't necessarily always go together. So Mitzrayim, there was a great sense of independence. We have the Nile. They worshipped the Nile. What does it mean they worshipped the Nile? It means they literally felt the Nile provides everything we need. So therefore, we worship the Nile. We don't need anything more. It gives us the independence we crave. That's not true for Israel. But the land you're coming into, Eretz HaRim Uv This is a place of hills and valleys. You know how you're going to drink. You know how you'll access water, not by the Nile. The rain. Eretz this is a land that God um, inquires after. Tamid Hashem His eyes are always on it. Me hashana acharis From the beginning of the year until the end of the year. So Moshe sets up a contrast between Mitzrayim and Israel. Mitzrayim is a place of independence. You have the, the Yardin, the you have the, the Nile, rather, which provides everything. Israel is a place of utter dependence, the rain, without which you cannot sustain yourself. And uh, and therefore, your, your faith will thrive in Israel, whereas it will suffer in, in Mitzrayim. Hashem's presence is always, Hashem ba. You always sense Hashem's presence. There's a consistent awareness and dependence on Hashem in Israel, something that doesn't happen in Mitzrayim. That's where you're going into. So therefore... That's the punchline of what Moshe was building up to. You saw miracles, so you can't be in denial of Hashem. Yes, 2014, Jews can claim to be agnostics and atheists. They'll say, I struggle to see Hashem. I haven't heard His voice. I haven't seen His outstretched arm. I haven't witnessed His revealed miracles. But you, says Moshe, you have no excuse. You've seen it all. And now that you've seen it all, strengthen yourself because you're going into a land that will need, that, that will need you to, have, to be strong. You're going into a land where you can't afford to let down your guard. You can't afford to feel independent. Because you're going to need you will only exist and subsist on faith. That's what you live on in Eretz Israel. Okay, so let's go back and look at this a little bit more in depth. Prophet <speaking in Hebrew> Bayes. Look at the Ibn Ezra. Kilos <speaking in> haros. <Hebrew> what you saw. The future they will not see. So you have an obligation. You have an obligation to live with it, to live with the results of what you saw. You have an obligation to pass it forward. The Rambam writes explicitly that you know our knowledge of the uh, unity of Hashem's existence, our knowledge that the Torah is authentic and true, comes not from miracles. It doesn't come from miracles. We are not a religion based on miracles. Other religions exist on their so-called miracles, we are not a religion of miracles. We are a religion of transmission. You know, how I know that Hashem exists. You know, how I know that He spoke at Har Sinai. You know, how I know that He really cares about me, because my father told me, my mother told me. And what did they hear from? Their parents. Who heard it from their parents? Who heard it from their parents? Who heard it from their parents? Who were there? We are a religion of testimony. We are a religion of transmission. We're not a religion of miracles. And that's what Moshe, the Rambam, says that explicitly. And the Rambam is intentionally drawing a strong contrast between Judaism and the other major religions of the world that rely on miracles as the foundation of their faith. Our faith is not founded on miracles. We don't rely on miracles. The Rambam is a big proponent of not... You know, he's not a fan of miracles. tries to explain everything as naturally as he can. We are not a faith of miracles. We are a religion of transmission. That's how we know things were to be true. And that's what Moshe is telling them. That's what the Ibn Ezra says. Your children will not see these miracles. You saw them with your eyes. You experienced divine revelation. And you need to testify. You need to pay it. You need to pay it forward. The Sfarno says similarly. The says the You will testify for generations when you enter the land. The testimony is the critical component. That's how you show gratitude from all that you from all that you experienced. Pesach vav, what does it mean? Asher asala dasan laaviram. Moshe tells the people, "You saw with your own eyes," and he recounts, "You saw that the uh, God took care of Paro, the Midrash, they drowned in the Yamsef. You saw what happened in the desert. You saw dasan Aviram. You saw Bnei Eliyav, you saw Ben Reuven, you saw everything that happened to them. The ground opened up and swallowed. By the way, who's missing in that list? The ground opened up and swallowed? Korach, look at the Ramban. The Ramban is bothered. I don't know who brought this, but thank you very much. I'm assuming it's from me. says the Ramban. Notably absent It's Korach If we're going to list the people who suffered the consequence Where's Korach? Says the Ramban How did they die? What was their mistake? They brought a, fire, a foreign uh, korban, k'tores. So says the Ramban, their mistake remains a prohibition of perpetuity. So it's worthwhile to mention their consequence because that serves as a warning not to fall prey to the same mistake they did. As opposed to Korach, which was an event of history but is not included in the Lavan and in the Torah, is not included in one of the negative commandments. That's how the Ramban deals with why Korach is missing from this list. Well, we mention among the things that are swallowed by the ground are they were swallowed Batehem their homes their tents asher yakum le'hem bekerav ko yisrael how would you translate that end of pasuk Vav. and all of the yakum what's yakum it says with pashas noach it says hashem wiped out by yamach kol yakum he destroyed all of the yakum Yukum porkan min Shemaya. What's Yakum? Like a foundation, it means uh, what is? How does he define it here? The stone chumash, the fortunes at their feet. Yakum means the foundation. It means the sustenance. It means everything that sustains you. The Yakum means the the essence. It means everything. So it's called Yakum Asher Barag lehem. All of the the foundations at their feet. BeKerav Kol Yisrael. And beker of all means, in the midst, among all of Israel. So, what is this talking about? It's complicated words. Look at Rashi. Wherever a person ran, it wasn't just there was one geographic spot where the earth opened up and swallowed the people. Wherever they fled, wherever they tried to run, the earth opened up under them where they were. It says the earth opened up its mouth, not its mouths, implying it only opened up once in one geographic spot. Ah, so what does it mean that it opened up beker of Yisrael among all the people? So he says what happened was it opened up in one spot. Wherever they were, they were caused. An earthquake came and they, it, it, they rolled. They rolled to the place where it was open and that's where it consumed them. What's called HaYekum Says Rashi, Zemamono Shel Shama Amido HaRag Raglav." in the Gemara, what does it mean the earth swallowed up all the Yakum? all the money. It means all the material possessions. And why is that HaShim because what puts a person on their feet? The, that's the language we say in the vernacular. Help that person get on their feet. What does it mean? They're lying on the ground? They're not lying on the ground. Physically, it's a metaphor. To be on your feet means to be f- financially secure. It's financially independent. So it says Rashi, You're having money, is what puts you on your feet. So that's what it means. Look at the Kliyakar. It says the Kliyakar, Perish Rashi's Amamonashal Adam, V'chimash Misha Eynlomamon Chige Baraglov, V'lo Amdalo Kochach Mosso, Shara Milo Sanusis. Not having money makes you limp, V'lo Amdalo Kochach Mosso, Shara Milo He's asking on Rashi, says the Kliokar. Really, that's what puts you on your feet? You could lack money, but still be wise and smart and accomplished in so many other ways. V'nirisha Bignuskinian Hamamonu Medaber. Among the mate them eight, the eight um, virtues that the Rambam delineates in Shmonaprakim, he says money is the lowest. What are the eight? Chachma, gvura, midos, osher, kikulam He says when it comes to the other virtues, they're all part of person. If you're smart, if you're wise, if you're humble, if you're um, if you're uh, disciplined, these are all virtues that are inherent within the person. Money, osher, wealth, is not a virtue which is inherent within you. It's external to you. It's measured by your bank account, not by your character. <speaking in Hebrew> Wisdom is in the head, the brain, and the heart. <speaking in> Hagvura <Hebrew> And strength is in the heart. <speaking> in <Hebrew> If you're weak-hearted, then you're not a strong, you're not a warrior. So that's why the Kliyakr gives this different shot than Rashi. Why is mamon, why is money described as at your feet? Because among the virtues, that's where it is. If you had to take the eight virtues, put a diagram of a person and label where they would be, you'd put wisdom next to the head, because that's where the wisdom is. You'd put gvura, strength next to the heart. And where would you put money? Under your feet. <laughs> that's where you'd put it. It's the lowest. It's the lowest, and therefore it'd be by your feet. So the, uh, that's how the Kliyakar interprets <laughs> different than Rashi. Okay. Continuing. What are we continuing here? Lo carrots Rashi, Pasig it's not like Mitzrayim Israel's better Moshe's giving them this promise after they left Egypt Mitzrayim was great remember the cucumbers remember when they longed to go back why did they ask for the cucumbers and melons because how do they grow from irrigation they don't need rain they grow from the ground People Mitzrayim this is it this is great so Moshe had to assure them, "No, we're going to a place which is even better. That's three star. We're going to five star." Low carrots mitzrayim, tovah hemenah. Tamal bamar, v'chemer shevashanim dinas lefanai, and so on and so forth. Okay, a long Rashi that we're going to a place which is even better. Low carrots mitzrayim, tovah hemenah. And how is a tovah hemenah? Because it's a place of great spirituality. Rashi says, "Look at Rashi in pasuk Gibayz." Doesn't God inquire after every place? When it rains in Boka, is it random? Is it chance? Is it the ecological system? Or is God ordaining for it to rain? Everything is Hashem, right? Hashem manipulates the whole world. So what do you mean only Israel? So it says, Rashi, So Everything revolves around Israel. This Rashi is so prescient. All I can think about when you see the news the last uh, two months is: Israel is smaller than New Jersey. The Jewish people are less than less than a less than a less than a percent of the entire world population. We're utterly nothing. Why is that? All the news that it cares about is Israel. That's all that matters. The whole world revolves around Israel. And mistakenly, everyone thinks the peace in the Middle East and peace in the world and ISIS and Iraq and this net—it all comes down to Israel, because everything is around Israel. dorish is ima. What happens in Israel, everything will go with it. Everything follows what is what is Israel. So Hashem looks at Israel's interests, and then the world revolves around. The world revolves around it. Says, Hashem is always looking at Israel and deciding what's best for Israel. or Sometimes the punishment Israel deserves and uh, and the rest of the world falls in place from it. From the beginning of the world, Hashem judges what will happen at the end of the world. Famous Hasidah Shavart. Just said in many different people's name. Why does it say Hashanah Acharis Shana? God always looks what will be from the beginning of the year, Hashanah, till the end of year. Where's the hey? Hashanah, Ahris Shana? So the Hasidisvort is that the beginning of every year we're coming into soon. And what do we say at the beginning of every year? This is going to be the year. This is the year. I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to work on and bias and I'm going to get a better job, and I'm going to learn Torah, and I'm never going to speak Lashon hara again. And I'm going to... This is the year. HaShanah. This is the year. And what happens inevitably and invariably, V'yad Acharis, Shana. It was a year like every other. So that's our, our goal is the Acharis HaShanah should be... The Meireish the HaShanah should be Acharis HaShanah. That's the goal, is that it shouldn't be the year. Svarna says Moshe is telling the people you need to know that your sustenance is going to be a direct proportion of your behavior I mean imagine if our paycheck didn't come from we didn't have bonus performance um, performance based bonuses based on performance of of uh, of quality of work or of income or of sales what if the performance based bonuses were based on uh, you didn't speak Lashonar at the water cooler. You held the door. You were kind. You'd be motivated to do that, right? Well, coming into Israel, that's what Moshe's telling them. You, you, your paycheck is the rain. If you're an agricultural society, your paycheck is the rain. Your bonus is more rain, is enough rain. So it's performance-based, Moshe's telling them. You need to perform properly, and you'll get the paycheck. You'll get the bonus. And if you don't, you won't. This last pasuk, Pasach that we read is so critically important Just very briefly, we discussed this recently in a Shabbos class but the notion of the singularity of the land of Israel I asked um, we talked about in this class the 6th Zionist Congress Theodore Herzl brought forth a proposal from the British the British were not prepared to give the Jews sovereignty in Israel but they were prepared to give them Uganda Northeast Africa a swath of land and say you could have a Jewish state you could have sovereignty land so at the 6th Zionist Congress Herzl brought forth that proposal saw it as a short term solution at least it would be something you'd be surprised to learn that the secular Zionists voted against the proposal they didn't want to give up on getting the land of Israel and you might be surprised to learn that Mizrahi the religious Zionists voted in favor of the proposal why? because they were fearful of the right wing the right-wing world was critical of Mizrahi. How could you long Zionism? will only get to Israel when Hashem wills it. So they wanted to prove to them, we're not trying to force Hashem's hand to go to Israel. We just need a place of refuge for the Jewish people. We don't care if it's Uganda. We don't care if it's in the land of Israel. So the Mizrahi actually voted in favor, shockingly. Obviously the proposal was ultimately voted down and we didn't go to Uganda. But what would have been the problem? Why does the state of Israel have to be in the land of Israel? And the answer is this Pasuk, Pasuk Yid Beis. This is a unique land. This is different. The Ramban writes in many, many places, but most poignantly, in Vayikra, Perk Yilches, Pasuk, Chof, Hey. But the Ramban writes that Hashem ha-nechpad hu-elokeh lo-kim v'adonei adonam l'chol ha aval Eretz Yisrael em-tzaros ha-yeshu v'inachas yuchedas l'shnoahu lo-nasan alea min ha-malachim kitzin shoter u-moshel but hu ba says the Ramban every other land God interacts with those places through an emissary through an intermediary he delegates sure it's the will of Hashem but he delegates Israel e'nei Hashem ha ba this is a place that uniquely God directly in the Ramah talks about that's why if you're outside of Israel it's It's like you don't have God you don't have direct connection with God you speak to God's secretary you speak to God's emissary you speak to God's agent but if you want to feel directly connected to God it's only in Eretz Yisrael it's only in Eretz Yisrael Rabbi Salavitch wrote about very beautifully the concept of the singularity the singularity singular, singular means being only one exceptional, extraordinary, separate he says that's what the word segula means when it says in Shmosch uh, Yutes that uh, you see when Am Segula it means a singular people a singular people of faith a cherished treasure segula, and, and the Rav developed this idea it's in Reflections of the Rav Volume 1 but he talks about the singularity of the land of Israel a singular people inhabits a singular land, a school of land, a land that God looks after. Rashi adds that although God cares for other lands, his relationship with it's is so special. This is what we just read. This is what we just read. Jewish destiny is linked with this land. We have no other. Only in this land does the shekhinah dwell. Only does prophecy flourish. You know, the Neviim, you can't prophesy outside of Israel. Only in Israel do you prophesize. And listen to how the, the Rav ends this long uh, section. that you, you, you almost can't imagine it's the rav using these words. The rav who usually writes so... Uh... Hold on, where is it? Yeah. I'm sorry, bear with me for one second. Here it is. The Rav, when he was talking about Rabbi Huda Halevi's magnificent poems, Rabbi Yudah Halevi, who the Rav described as the, the greatest Zionist in the sense that the longing for Tzion, more than anyone. Rabbi Yudah Halevi, libi b'mizrach, b'sof He wrote all the Tzions that we read, the Kinos, but he wrote hundreds of poems that we have. So his longing for Tzion. So the Rav talks about in that context... He says, for, for Yudha Levi, prophecy is a natural phenomenon or a condition only in Eretz Israel. Prophecy descends in Eretz Israel the way rain and dew descend. In Eretz Israel, when you breathe, you breathe not only oxygen and air, but something spiritually important, something with spiritual potential and vigor. The air in Eretz Israel, the plain physical air, the atmosphere is different. The condition or quality of the atmosphere, air air, air in Eretz Israel, is saturated with prophecy, with Ruach HaKodesh. So he's talking about, we know, Avir de Eretz Israel Machim, it's a singular land. It's something which is unlike any other. Hashem's presence is felt more intensely. Prophecy can only take place there. It's a singular land which cannot be replaced by, uh, by any other. It's a, it's a place that we have to long for. And, um, and that's what this Pasuk is all about. Eretz HaShem This is a singular land that unites our people. I'll end with this incredible quote. Rabbi Techtel, uh, Rabbi Socher Shlomo Techtel, who lived 1885 to 1945. He uh, was uh, born and raised in Hungary. He was a staunch anti-Zionist, grew up in a very right-wing anti-Zionist home. He became a a, a sort of Rebbe himself. He was a Rav of a town. And when the Nazis came and he was forced to flee and run for his life, he re-examined all of his views. And he came to the conclusion that everything that he had opposed and fought had merit. And he wrote a book. He wrote a book while running and hiding called Ein Habanum Smecha. It's a remarkable book because he wrote it by memory and yet quotes from all over the places, sources encyclopedic and memory and knowledge. And uh, and in it, I would stop short of saying that he um, subscribes to Zionism, per se, as a political philosophy, but he subscribes to the fact that Hashem wants us in Israel and Israel is where we all belong and Israel is where we have to go back to and it's a magnificent work. And in while running from the Nazis and suffering the worst atrocity known to man of the Holocaust, in that in middle of that experience, not yet 1948, he could never have dreamt if you would have stopped, freeze frame the Holocaust, find Rabbi Teichetel in hiding and say to him, can you imagine that in a few years there's going to be a state of Israel? He would tell you you're dreaming, you're smoking something funny. There's no way, it's impossible. Anyone would have said that to you. Maybe he wouldn't say it to you. Here's what he wrote in Iman Ban B'smeicha. Even though all of Israel will not return right away, it seems to me the land will become a universal center for the entire Jewish nation by the very fact that there will be assembly of Jews in Jerusalem and Eretz Israel, Even those who remain in the diaspora will keep their eyes and hearts on the land. They will be bound and connected with all their souls to the universal center, which will be established in Eretz Israel. It will unite them even in the diaspora and they will not be considered dispersed at all. That's what he was writing in the Holocaust. How prophetic, how prescient his words that we will be back in Eretz israel and even though many won't come right away and he's talking sadly and tragically and and embarrassingly about us but even those who don't come right away their hearts, their eyes, their souls it'll be the center, we'll all be looking so the notion of the ingathering of the exiles is not only physically when we all go there it's the fact that there's an ingathering of the exiles because spiritually it's all we're thinking of so until the point that we fulfill the promise of the physical ingathering of the exiles, we're seeing the first steps of it, that there's a spiritual ingathering of the exiles, that emotionally and spiritually we're all drawn to that land. Every one of us is checking the news incessantly. It's all we're thinking about, it's all we're caring about, it's all we're davening about, and therefore we're brought together. The fact that he wrote that in that time, with that that. Uh Foresight is something which is absolutely incredible, and it's a fulfillment of this pasuk. It is the singularity of this land, different than any other. Have a great week.